right, well, good morning, everyone, once more. We are, uh, last week when we were together, we prayed for the group that was heading down to Ocean City uh, to do that little mission project uh, there on the boardwalk. Many of those folks are, are home and here this morning, so um, look for an opportunity to connect with them. Uh, there is, there's a lot of missions that our, our congregation is involved with. One of them is a little bit unique because it's a, it's a family that was sent out from our congregation uh, almost 11 years ago now. Uh, and in that time period, there's probably a lot of us that attend here that don't even know who these two are, or they look like nice people, but other than that, you don't, you don't know much about them. This is Jeff and Linda Simpson. Uh, they, they were a part of our congregation when we started, uh, way back in 1997, and then somewhere around 2012-ish, uh, God began to lay on their hearts uh, the nation of Kenya, really the world, and it got refined to the nation of Kenya. And so they have been serving in a, uh, a village outside of Nairobi that is called Ungata Rangai. Uh, and so today they're going to share a little bit about uh, what this last year held for them. I know many of you um, support them and get their emails and uh, follow them on Facebook and things like that. But for many of you that do not, today's an opportunity for you uh, to learn a little more about the ministry. Uh, so about a little bit of that. And then Jeff's going to preach to us. Uh, that's okay. Thank you. Jeff's going to preach uh, from Hebrews chapter 11 and 12 uh, today, the entire two chapters. Uh, so settle in. All right, would you please welcome Jeff and Linda Simpson. As Greg said, uh, I get to uh, teach or preach, so Linda's going to share about the ministry. <laughs> He's like, you go first, then I'll go. So good morning. Good to see you all. Um, as Jeff and I have been talking recently, we, we were amazed thinking about the growth that we have seen even in the last three years. We've been there over 10, but seeing the, the growth that has happened in the last three has been pretty amazing. We went from kind of going from a temporary borrowed space to now having three youth centers with over 400 children coming to those centers and over, I guess, 150, 200 teenagers that regularly come to these youth centers. And that's, that's quite exciting, but what we really wanna focus on is some of the growth we see in some of the people who we've been able to mentor over the years. Um, you can see on the screen a, a, few, of the, a few of the people. Three of, of them in that picture are doing full-time ministry now. So most of them started with us around maybe seventh or eighth grade. Some of them as they were in high school, and we've been mentoring them and leading them, discipling them these years, and now three of them have decided, I want to do full-time ministry um, and reach out to the youth um, in the community. Three of them in the bottom are in school full-time, but you would, you would think that they weren't because every moment they get, they're serving with us in the ministry. Um, one is um, studying to be a counselor, one to business IT, another one music production and graphic design, the, the three who did, uh, were doing full-time ministry did biblical theology for a, a diploma program, like an associate's degree. We have some of these uh, young people you can see on the screen. They're at another center um, running things at that one. And again, there's like three doing full-time ministry. Some of them are studying social work and development. We have a social worker now who was one of our students, who's now a social worker in the organization with us, and one of our students who studied to be a counselor, who's now our full-time counselor as well. So it's so exciting to see how they're developing. Here are some of the, the young guys who have been sent out, some of them to Western Kenya, one to Eastern, one has been serving in an orphanage for years, one's a social worker in an orphanage. So exciting that not just in Rangai area, but now being sent out to other areas. Um, we have some who have gone through college and have now graduated. We have one in catering and food service there, and two in auto mechanics, two in um, beauty and hairdressing salon, and one as a, a medical, like a surgical assistant, um, have been able to do. And some others who have graduated, an electrician and a teacher and this and a counselor. And Clint is um, a dance a dance instructor, and he's doing ministry, so he's using both, you know, together. So qu quite exciting. A, f a few others, these are all ones who we've been with for years and years, and now they're young adults. Um, 
So some of these guys are in school right now as becoming electrical engineer or mechanical engineer, electricians, math and science teacher. So while, let me just say this, while they're in school doing these programs, they're serving in the ministry. So even if they go to school Monday through Friday, on Saturdays they're coming and serving the children, the hundreds of children I just mentioned, we need lots of help, and the teenagers. So they're mentoring them and doing Bible studies with them. So they're going off to school, but they're also serving. So if they're not full-time, they're coming at least every Saturday and sometimes on Sunday and leading house church groups. I think I'm up to here. Some other ones who are in college right now um, doing social work and car auto mechanics, and I think we have an, a civil engineer in there, and I can't see one of the pictures. Um, but in the last one, here are some of our interns right now. So after they graduate from high school, we choose some of them to stay with us for a year and serve with us in the ministry. And after that year, they kind of get a better idea of what do they want to do in life. Some of them want to go off to college and, and you know, end up in a secular job and you know, impact the community that way. Some of them have decided to go to full-time ministry. Some decide to do a combination. So these ones right now are some of the current interns that we're trying to grow, and then they'll end up being the ones probably in college or choosing to do full-time ministry. What's exciting is as I looked at some of these pictures, I saw some of you, because some of you are sponsoring some of these students who are now doing these really great things as young adults. Some of you are sponsoring high schoolers, who hopefully will be some of these ones who will then go on to further education and impact their community in really great ways as well. Some of you support us so that we can do this, so that we can continue. And in fact, all of you do, because Calvary Mercer, Mercer is our sending church. And so as a church, you also support us in everything that we do. So it's pretty exciting for us to look at all the impact that it's had and to know that it's definitely not Jeff and I doing all this. It's the Lord first. And then the Lord uses all of us, which is pretty exciting that he uses all of us. So when you feel that prompting to, to give or that, or that you know, you, you've, some of you have very sacrificially given to us, know that the Lord is using you. It's not just us, it's, it's you. And when you come to this church and the church supports us, that it's really the Lord is using all of us. So we're excited to see what the Lord is doing. I would say it's also a big challenge. The more and more people who we minister to, the more and more problems, of course, we get acquainted with their lives and we suffer along with them. So we have lots of abuse cases and a lot of very lost teenagers who who feel hopeless and might not have very broken families. And so we're trying to walk with them. So we appreciate your prayers. For us and all those I just pictured you know, on the wall, we need it so that we have that wisdom to know what to do um, in those situations. And then afterwards, if you want to learn more, you want to talk to us individually, we have a little table set up here. We'll just be hanging out in the corner over here. If you want to know about what the program's about or you want to see how you want to help, you can come over and join us. So thank you. And I'm going to hand it over to Jeff now. It's pretty amazing to see that team of about 40 to 60 of us um, is able to reach out to the community to hundreds and hundreds now. Um, so it is a little overwhelming, you know. We're like, when's the, when's the end of the growth? Um, but God is sustaining us, but keep praying, okay, because we need it. <clears throat> Today we're going to talk about faith. So I have a couple quotes from the Bible, and I thought it was pretty interesting how faith, uh, I guess the importance of faith. So let's look at some of these verses. It's impossible to please God without faith. Impossible. How about this one? The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. We all know this one. Faith without works is dead. Here's one, and it said, for we, and this is from Hebrews 4, for we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value. Same gospel, but no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. So it was useless. The gospel is useless without faith. 
at least useless to that person that doesn't accept it. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let's all open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11 as we start. As you open, let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you give us wisdom, that your word would change us, make us more into your image, that faith would be so uh, integral part of our lives that we would be changed forever. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Hebrews 11.1 1 is where we start of the definition of faith that the Bible gives us. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. There's so many things that we don't see. It's almost like we're blind when it comes to different things. And we don't see what's coming ahead, right? We don't know the future. We don't see sometimes what could happen in impossible situations. It's like we're blind to that. And so let's look at a definition that I had uh, come up with here of faith. And I wrote, faith is believing God or God's word more than anything we can see, feel, sense, or touch. And this is a quote I stole from someone I can't remember. It is believing that God is who he says he is, and he can do what he says he can do. And so when we look at um, situations that we get ourselves in and we are encounter in life, we don't often see what's ahead. Often there's a lot of unknowns and it takes a lot of faith. And faith is trusting God's word in the midst of whatever that situation is, that God's word is true and whatever we can see, whatever we can feel, whatever we can experience, if that goes against God's word, and we have to stick with God's word. That's what faith is. You know, so when it looks too good to do something, but God's word says, that's not good. We have, faith is saying, okay, I won't do it because God says it's not good. It doesn't look, you know, it doesn't seem like it to me, but let me trust God on this one. So that's what faith is. <clears throat> now, um, the, the book of Hebrews is a book about better things. If we, we start from the beginning, I won't start from the beginning, hopefully, um, of Hebrews. But if we look at it, it's about uh, the theme is better things. Jesus being better than the angels, right? Jesus being better than the law. Jesus, the new covenant, being better than the old covenant. Jesus being a better sacrifice. And better at making believers perfect. And so we want to look at how is faith better than the alternative of going along with what seems like maybe we should do in this situation. And so we're going to look at um, some characters in Hebrews chapter 11. So let's start with, um, well, let me ask you this. If just think for a moment, because I'm going to make you, hopefully make you think a few times throughout, what is it the thing that God's putting on your heart and mind that you need faith for? Because I want you to think about that beforehand. So as we get to some of these characters that are referenced in Hebrews chapter 11, mostly from the Old Testament, um, that as you recognize the faith challenge that they had, Maybe you're like, oh, that's me. And what could I do if I step out in faith? So let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. It says this, By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. All right, how many of you were there when God created the universe, the earth? Right, it's unseen, right? Again, one of those unseen things as the definition in Hebrews verse 1, 11, chapter 11, verse 1 says, it's things that we don't see. 
but we're ex we experience, you go, go to school or we watch the news, uh, we read a book about dinosaurs, a whole different uh, dialogue about where the universe came to be. And some of which might make sense in, in some of our minds. But the Bible tells us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so the decision on the side of faith would be, let's just believe the Bible. We don't need any proof. The proof is God said it, and that's what faith is. Let's look at chapter, uh, verse 4. Now, the situation is Abel and Cain are there and offering sacrifices to God. And verse 4 says, By faith, Abel, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he's dead. So we see Abel here who decides because of what, who God is and what he believes about God to offer this sacrifice to God, giving away his first fruits, the best of what he has by faith. Now, we're all self, uh, selfish people in some ways, right? We're all faced with the same temptation of maybe not giving all of us or maybe not giving the best of what we have Abel here was able to, you know, by faith, overcome his selfishness, compromise, his ungratefulness, maybe like, you know what, I did a lot of work for this, his half-heartedness. Half and so we, see, we learn that one from Abel. Let's skip down to verse 7. I know this is not the Calvary Chapel way. You could go back and read everything <laughs> later, but we don't have time to go through every verse this morning. Sorry about that. Verse 7, by faith Noah, when warned about things unseen, again, unseen things, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. You know, if you study, you realize that it had never rained before. We were listening to some pastor, and he was saying, God could have said, instead of, no, it's going to rain, he said, no, it's going to splunk. You know, he, had never, he doesn't know what rain is. Never had rained before. It said the earth was watered from, you know, the springs underneath and the mist in the air. No rain. And so all of a sudden, God says, you know, there's this thing that's going to happen. Build yourself a boat. He's in the middle of land. He's not at the ocean or at the at the sea or anything like that. And by faith, he does something that seems really stupid, you know, to everyone around him. To him, it doesn't seem stupid. God told me to do it. It's not stupid. Let me spend 100 years building a boat in the middle of the wilderness. So you see that he was faced with things he didn't see yet. He's never experienced rain. Some of you are experiencing things that you've never seen yet. You don't know what's on the other side. And God is calling us to face those things not yet seen by faith. In verse 8, it says this. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Now, um, I don't know how that feels, Maybe I feel a little bit of what that feels when we were called 11 years ago to go to Kenya. We never had been to that part of Kenya before. We had visited for two weeks. Um, but to take your entire family, all that you own, everything, and just start going. It said he didn't even know where he was going. I don't know if that morning he's like, this way, Lord, this way. Like, how did he know which way? It said he did not know where he was going. <clears throat> Oftentimes we're faced with those things, aren't we? We're like, we don't know. It doesn't make sense. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know where we're going. But somehow, this mystery of faith allows us to do what the Lord is calling us to do. 
in verse 11. Turn there while I take a sip. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. I love that. You know, I often think of what did Abraham and Sarah look like? Did they probably look like my mom? She's 80 years old. We're having a birthday party for her next week. Okay, my mom having a baby. Abraham being like 20 years older than her, you know, like this is strange stuff, right? You know, again, uh, one of those things, but because Abraham heard the Lord and he said, it's going to happen. Okay, there was some doubt there, but Sarah laughed, you know, and so he believed. He didn't give up. He took those steps forward and continued, even though he was faced with these physical impossibilities. And I know some of us are facing physical impossibilities right now. All right. In verse, let's skip over to verse 19. Verse 19 was when Abraham, let's start at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. So God promised Abraham, I'm going to make your family great. You're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and it's going to come through Isaac. And then he says, go take Isaac and sacrifice him on the, on the mountain. That didn't make sense. So he got up early the next day and went with his son Isaac and the wood and a knife. You know. Even though it didn't make sense, God told him to do it, so he went, right? And he, was, he had the knife in his hand. He was about to sacrifice Isaac to that point where God's like, okay, don't don't kill your son. Look in the thicket there. There's a ram there. A beautiful picture of who Jesus is for us, you know, as we should be sacrificed. And the ram is Jesus sacrificing himself for us. So, um, but in this case, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. I guess that's what you're going to do, Lord, because you told me this, and you told me that, and the two don't add up. And oftentimes we're we're faced with the two don't adding up, so let me not do it, because it doesn't add up. And Isaac, or Abraham, even though the two didn't add up, decided to do it anyway. Let's look to at verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Many of us are facing fear or laws that seem like you got to do this or you got to do that and it contradicts God's word. And Moses' parents said, no, we have faith that God, well, even if they kill us, we're going to do the right thing is the faith that Moses' parents had. And many of us, again, are faced with those types of things where we're, we're facing fear, intimidation, punishment. We don't know what's going to come if we do that thing. We might stand up for something, and who knows what people will say about us or do to us. Or maybe we'll, the way the world is going, be arrested at some point because we stand up for our faith. Let's look at verse 25. Again, speaking this time, not Moses' parents, but him himself, he himself. In 24, it says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why would he do that? Because he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God 
rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a time. Now, I know we're all, I could put us all in the same category. The pleasures of sin are there. The temptations are there. Often knocking at our door, ready any moment. You know, and some sins are more obvious than others, as the Bible says, right? They go ahead of us. And some things are not so obvious. But in each of these, we see how Moses decided, you know what? It's not worth it. That temptation, that pleasure, even for, I mean, for him, it would have been a long time. That he could have just gone along with the, the way things were going and enjoyed being in Pharaoh's house and enjoying all the pleasures of that. But he decided, no, I want to follow the Lord. And the Lord wants me to deny myself the pleasures of sin. And oftentimes we're faced with the same thing. The pleasures of sin are there for each of us. And they will be pleasurable for a time. And so we see um, Moses trusting God and his word. I think this is important when we come to temptation. The Bible's not a whole bunch of do's and don'ts. It's a whole bunch of, hey, if you do this, you'll be blessed. You'll be happy if you follow the Lord. I don't want you to do these things because it's going to hurt you. And so it's believing God's word like, okay, he says I shouldn't do it, so I shouldn't do it because I know that I will have so much more of a blessing by following the Lord's words. And that's how I see temptation. Let's skip to verse 30. All right, here's an interesting one. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. Let's go back to that definition, right? Things not yet seen. How many armies tried this before? How many armies tried it since? Maybe some did, right? Some people try to imitate what Jesus did, and they got themselves in trouble. I love the story of the the seven sons of Sceva who watched Paul deliver people from demons, and then uh, they were like, ooh, that's cool, let me try it. And then they run away beaten and naked. So that's an extra. You don't have no charge for that one. All right. Um, but nobody uses that strategy. You don't walk around things to make them fall down and defeat an army, but God said to do it, right? Those were the instructions of the Lord, oftentimes which are a little bit confusing and don't make sense. And, uh, but, you know, when we look at the Word of God and we look at things, we're like, hmm, I wonder how that will work. Well, let's, let's put ourselves to trying those things. God says, Word says it, let's do it and see what happens. Because I think what you'll find is God's Word is true. Everything else is a mirror and, you know, a lie and uh, dimly seen. So, facing the impossible, we see there. In verse 31, it says, By faith the prostitute Rahab, or Rahab, as we say in Kenya, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So, looking at the story, Rahab saw that God's hand was on the people of Israel. And so she decided, you know what, this God is true. I want to be on that side. I don't want to be on the side of my people. And so she decided, let me stand on the Lord's side, and then she risked her life to do that. You know, we were in touch with some people around the world in different countries who are risking their lives for the gospel. And these are the things that they're facing. Um, and she decided to take a stand to risk her life in order to be with God, to be on God's side. So... The question is this, I guess, that I'd like to get to is, what are you facing right now that you need faith for? So I have a, a list of things here, um, and I'm going to read through them. Maybe something will hit you, because I, I'd like to uh, take some time even later on to pray and see what God will do in the midst of some of these circumstances. Maybe you have ungodly friends. 
Maybe you have some family pressures. Maybe you're facing fear of something. Um, maybe it's fear of failure. If I try it God's way, am I going to succeed? You might even think, am I even godly enough to try it God's way? And are you facing some impossible situation or a temptation, an unknown future? Are you facing punishment for doing what's right, like Moses' parents or Rahab? Is there a relationship that God is calling you to reconcile? Or maybe God's calling you to break off a relationship that's an ungodly one. Are you facing worldliness? Or maybe some uncertain health? Or maybe you worry a lot. You worry about yourself. You worry about your kids, about your, your health. You worry about your future. You worry about your past. You worry about, what if I give this to God? What will happen? If I take that step, if I walk around the city seven times, what will happen? You know? Do you worry about, you know, if I sacrifice this thing, will I have enough? What if I don't have that thing anymore? All of these things are things that we really need to hold on to God for. We need to hold on to his word. Not that we just, everything here is solved by us coming up with something that we say is following God. No, we follow the word of God. That's where our answers are found in faith. I know there's a lot of teaching in the world. You know, you just say it and you speak it and you believe it and you get it. That's not how God works. That's not how I found God to work. So looking at these things that we're facing and going to the word of God, what does the word of God say about these things? So now let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12 because I think this is the solution for those things that we're facing. How do we face these situations in faith? So, chapter uh, 12, verse 1 and 2. It says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, you know, those witnesses that we just read about in Hebrews 11, witnesses throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia that are there, that God has recorded in the word of God so that we can learn from the steps of faith that they took. Those witnesses, but look around you. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses here. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Or in another place, it says the author and perfecter of our faith in another version. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, let's talk about everything that hinders, because I think there's a difference that um, the writer of Hebrews is saying here that we're throwing off things that hinder us, and we're also getting rid of the sin that easily entangles us so that we could run this race of faith. So what is the difference between the two? So everything that hinders. So hinder, uh, you think of, um, say you have a, a backpack, and you fill it with the heaviest weights you can, right? And now you're running this marathon. How are you going to do compared to not having that backpack full of weights? Right? You're, you're going to be weighed down. Your knees are going to hurt. Your ankles are going to hurt. You're going to get tired sooner. You're going to need more water. You're going to need... It affects everything, right? And so these are some of the things. It's not saying these are sinful things. These are the things that hinder us. Um, and some of the things I thought of were seeking comfort. Oftentimes, we think the most comfortable way is the best way. Wrong. 
peer pressure. You know, your friends might be like, hey, let's, let's go do this or that, and it might not be a sinful thing. Or, yeah, let's, don't do that, you know, don't, don't be too Christian or crazy, you know, those types of things. How about focusing on myself? Well, if it helps me, I'll do it, and if it doesn't help me, I won't do it. Okay, I'd call that one sinful, uh, sinful, but, you know, some of those things where, you know, like, yeah, well, you know, I gotta make, do it for me, you know. Or fear, does fear hinder you from taking steps of faith? What will happen if I do that God's way? What will happen if I don't do that? Sometimes what we watch or listen to, or the amount of time we spend watching or listening to something. Could be even the news. That was for you, Judy. (laughs) That was for most of you. Come on. I... Um, or too much phone on, time on our phones and our, or on the internet, right? How many times have I been convicted? Like, are you going to pray or are you going to spend time on Facebook? And, you know, oftentimes I still go to Facebook just to scroll through because it's mindless, right? I could do so much more if I just got rid of all social media, right? How about wrong priorities? Things that we put first or second and things that we put last. Bad relationships. Anything that doesn't help you in your race of faith. So think of those things. What are those things that, not sinful things, but things that are not helping you? Think about those things. And what can we do? We need to throw off everything that hinders us, it says. And then it goes on to say, and the sin that so easily entangles. So, Entangles, you think of a trap would entangle you, right? A snare. So, you know, if a poor animal gets trapped in a snare, where can they go? What can they do? Nothing. They just sit there till they die. They starve, right? So we think of that's what sin will do us if we continue to keep ourselves in that trap of sin. So that could be Big things. It could be small things. Drugs and alcohol, ungodly relationships, ungodly media, gossip and pride, sex outside of marriage, theft, lying. That's only a little of the list of so many things that we can think of, right? So what is it for you that's ensnared you that, you know, I can't run this race of faith with my ankle trapped in this snare. I'm just lying here about to die. There's no race going on. So what is it that we need to get rid of by faith? To get rid of so that we could run the race of faith. And then it goes on to say, we need to run with perseverance. Um, we have a picture here of one of the most famous runners in Kenya. Anybody know him? Can you read his sign? Kipchoge, if you didn't know how to say that name. So he broke this world record. Um, now, he kind of cheated. Well, he had, like, people who would run with him for a time, and they had a car ahead showing him where his feet had to be on every step of the way. Isn't that cheating? He broke, he broke the four-hour, uh, four I don't know. He did something big. <laughs> Ran the fastest marathon ever known to man. Um, but he had a little help. But thinking of him, it's, you don't just wake up one day and become a runner like Kipchoge. What do you do? Well, you have accountability to someone, maybe your coach, someone who's mentoring you, someone who's helping you through this journey of running, right? You have teamwork. You have others that spur you on towards greatness. Um, in this case, as you know, a runner, you, you have a passion for running, right? In the race of faith, you have a passion for people who are lost. And so seeing those people who are lost gives you that passion to continue on in the 
in the way of faith. You know, if you're a runner like Kipchoge, you work at it with all your heart. This is the most important thing to you. If you want to run the race of faith, you work at it with all your heart. This is the most important thing to you. In the race of faith, you need to be a disciple of Jesus. Maybe there's someone who is mentoring you as well who will help you through that process. We all can look up to someone who is older and wiser than ourselves. But we also should be raising up the next generation of runners, the next generations of runners who will run this race of faith, who will put their trust fully in, hopefully, in the Lord's word and doing it. And, you know, practically speaking, a runner plans, creates routines. You know, they don't just wake up one day and start running. You know, they have a plan. And the same thing for us is, we plan routines on how to be godly people. We wake up, we study the Word, we just spend time in prayer, we spend time loving people and serving people. We have a plan to give, we have a plan to rest. So all of those things that a runner we do, we do on a spiritual level. <clears throat> and then... It says this in Hebrews chapter 12 again. It says, in, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So I was thinking about some of the things that, who Jesus is, right? Because we talked about earlier, it's believing God is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do. So as, as we're fixing our eyes on Jesus for this race of faith, then what is it that, who is it that Jesus is? And it says, uh, I put down, here are some of the things that I thought we have in Jesus. We have the earth. In Colossians chapter 1, it says, through Jesus, all things were made, and all things hold together. So the earth is still here. It hasn't exploded yet because Jesus is holding it together. We have knowledge of the Father. In John 14, it says, anyone who has seen Jesus has seen the Father. He came to reveal the Father to us. We have forgiveness. In 1 John, it says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We also have righteousness. One of my favorite verses of the Bible. In 2 Corinthians, it said, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So we're righteous because of Jesus, if we trust in him. We have access to the Father. In Ephesians, it says, through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. In John 15, it says, we have a friend. Jesus said, you are my friends, if you do what I command you. And we have a great example we think of Jesus, you know, it didn't make sense. Um, or Jesus struggled, right? He was in the garden praying. He was about to be arrested. And he knew his time was coming. And he said to the Lord, take this cup from me if you can. But if there's no other way, let me take it. That's the Jeff Simpson paraphrase. If there's no other way. Maybe we could say that to the Lord with, in our prayers when we're desperate and like, Lord, take whatever step of faith you're taking me. Take it away. But if there's no other way, let me do it. Let me do it well. And God said, has some promises for us in the midst of that. So I wanted to take a minute for us to quietly think about what is it that God is revealing to you what you need faith for today. Something that's coming up, something maybe you've been putting off. So let's just take a minute in quietness and pray, ask the Lord, what is it?
Yeah. I believe that we at Calvary Chapel want to be part of helping you to accomplish what God is doing. You know, and I was thinking, just even as we were having that um, parallel to the runner, Kipchoge, how many of us need help with this step of faith that they're about to take? Nod your heads and they'll know. Yeah. Raise your hand and say, yes, me. Yeah. We all need help. That's what we're here for. We are a family of God, God's children, sent to help each other to do what God wants us to do. And we can't do it alone. And when we pretend that we're going to do it alone, we get, we chicken out, right? When we went down to Ocean City last week, we didn't go alone. We go with each other. And, and when we're scared, it's like, oh, what do we say? What do we say? But there's someone next to you that's doing it and someone next to you, someone who's encouraging you. It's like, okay, you know, just watch what I do or, you know, let's see how it goes. And you encourage each other through the process. So that's the first thing. You need help in this. And we're here. People would love to pray with you after the service. People would love to counsel you through whatever is going through your mind and the step of faith you want to take. Um, you need encouragement. You need to see that someone went before you and did it, and it worked. And you could see their blessed lives in the Lord and then be like, wait, it does work. Let me try it, right? So you need encouragement, and that's what the team is for. But you also need surrender. We need to surrender that thing to the Lord and ask the Lord to help us and say, Lord, I can't do it. You know, there's lots of situations that arise, and it's a risky process to take a step of faith because you don't, you don't see what's going on. You don't see what's next. It's the unseen. So it's risky. Oftentimes, we have that thought in our mind, God, you can't handle this situation. You don't, you don't really understand, you know, what she said to me and what I said to her, you know. Or you don't understand how it is to be tempted in this situation, right? We say those things in our mind. Some of us probably say them out loud. But God, remember, he is who he says he is, and he'll do what he says he'll do. And he is the all-powerful. If we think about God, he's the one who created the whole universe. He's the one who created you and me. He's the one who went before us and set an example for us and was able to walk in faith every step of the way. There's no one like him. Satan is not his equal. So whatever it is that coming against you, God is more pow powerful than that. And I'd like to end with a few promises of God, because I think these are truths that will never end, because God said them. He says in Matthew 28, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So whatever you're going through, Whatever step of faith you need to take, he's with you in the midst of that step of faith. He also says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says in Psalm 23, or David was saying, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And I think those three promises are the promises we need to hold on to not conjure up some, you know, speak it or claim it or something in our mind, but God is with us in the midst of every situation. I'd like to end with one verse here. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. I want to encourage you with this. It says this, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men and women of courage. Be strong. 
do everything in love. Amen? All right, let's, let's pray. Worship team, I think you come up. After the service, if you'd love prayer for anything that God is speaking to you, please, please, see someone. See Greg, see Will, see Jim, see, well, I'll be over at the table a bit distracted. Um, see Kyle, yeah. If you don't want to see them, see your friend who's here with you today and say, hey, pray with me, help me with this, all right? Worship team, come on. Lord, we thank you so much that you've given us the instruction manual for life that we, in faith, can follow your words, and we know that those words are true and accurate. They're right. They'll lead to uh, blessing. They'll lead to a deeper relationship with you. They'll lead us to know you more. They'll lead us to freedom. They'll lead us to reach others with the gospel. They'll lead us to do impossible things, Lord. Lord, we do ask that you use each of us in this congregation to reach the world for Christ, knowing that you alone are the hope of salvation for all people. In Jesus' name, amen.